Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrew podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines of the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrew, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We're going to take a look at some of the main news stories and FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. So in today's episode, we're going to begin by talking about the, the recent sell-off in the US dollar, what we think is behind the move, and whether we think that this downtrend is sustainable. Uh, this move lower in the greenback really has been the main talking point in the FX market so far this week. We've seen a, a fairly significant sell-off uh, in the US currency against pretty much all of its major peers. Month to date, the dollar has underperformed every other G10 currency, particularly the high-risk Scandinavian ones. Sterling dollar is now trading around the 140 mark, having opened London trading on Monday morning at 138. And the key euro dollar pair as well has risen to its strongest position since early March. It's now trading just above the psychological 120 level at the time of recording. Actually, this move has been slightly counterintuitive. Economic data we've had out of the US economy in the past couple of weeks has continued to beat expectations. Last week's US retail sales number, for example, came in comfortably above expectations, almost 10% month-to-month growth. But this was resoundingly brushed aside by investors, as was the latest jobless claims data. So why do you guys think that investors are overlooking this recent impressive data? And what do you think has driven the, the move lower in the dollar in general so far this month? I, it is a confusing move. I mean, uh, the numbers we saw last week out of the U.S. Were, were unambiguously strong. You have retail sales and the key indicator of demand coming up at uh, 10% on the, uh, increase on the month, driven by stimulus checks. Uh, the housing market is running red hot. Inflation, uh, the, which I think is going to become an increasingly important indicator going forward, surprise uh, to the upside. Everything was uh, was sort of aligned for a sell-off in treasuries in the U.S., and instead what we had was a rally. Um, I think perhaps speculators and hedge funds and had gotten a little bit too one-sided in the bet for higher yields, and what we saw is a uh, is, uh, readjustment of the market. But uh, I think that the currency market, the sell-off in the U.S. dollar can be ascribed mostly to this, this pullback in, in yields. Um, and also, but, but I wonder whether in addition to that, there's, we're starting to see the development of a longer-term trend in which the world gets used to the idea that there's a flood of U.S. dollars coming over the next few years as uh, U.S. fiscal policy and monetary policy will be the, the losers they have ever seen. Um, it's hard to disentangle one from the other, but clearly there's a contradiction between what we've seen between that what we've seen in the economic data and the movement that we've had in yields. Yeah, so generally I don't want to be the person that says that uh, th- this move uh, isn't really that strange, but I actually don't think that it's that strange because looking at the beginning of the year, uh, what we had was a massive fiscal stimulus on the side of the US and we had a very fast uh, rollout pace of vaccines. And uh, so this enabled uh, the Fed and also uh, economists all around the world 
to uh, increase the forecast for the U.S. GDP this year. Uh, currently, the consensus is at around 7%, while when we started the year, it was at around 4%. It's quite unlikely to go higher from that point. On, uh, and it's uh, quite likely that right now the vaccination pace in the U.S. is at around the levels that it probably will stay. Uh, on the other hand, uh, when we look at the Eurozone, uh, the situation here uh, was quite bad at the beginning of the year. We also had the increase in COVID cases uh, at around uh, March. Uh, however, right now, the vaccination pace has increased significantly. Uh, it's around twice of what it was around a month ago. Uh, and there is a very high likelihood that it will increase further because we are not near a capacity uh, to vaccinate people. Uh, and also, uh, this uh, COVID, the third wave, uh, seems to be abating. So right now, the COVID cases in uh, EU are stabilizing. We are seeing that the situation in Central and Eastern Europe is improving. Uh, there is one country that is uh, kind of lagging behind here. It's uh, Germany. Uh, but uh, the major EU countries are also seem to be doing better. We might be behind the peak of the third wave. So I think that this resurgence in the euro uh, also uh, is uh, pushing people away uh, from the US dollar. So uh, and uh, all of those factors that I mentioned earlier, so the uh, super fiscal stimulus in the US uh, and also uh, this uh, rapid vaccination pace, uh, they were a novelty in the first quarter. And right now, uh, I think that the market got accustomed to them uh, and uh, shouldn't react to them uh, as much. So uh, we are at a level where the situation in the Eurozone is improving rapidly, uh, while in the US, it's hard really to count on a significant improve improvement that would warrant a uh, rally in the US dollar from now on. Yeah, I'm largely the same view as you, Roman. I think for me, it's partly as a result of this sort of general vaccine optimism that we're seeing at the moment, um, particularly that we've seen a bit of a speed up in the pace of vaccination in Europe. It's expected to continue in the second quarter. I think that's just lifted market sentiment in general, uh, and the dollar has been um, has fallen as a result. I also think, that, of course, this US outperformance and the US vaccine outperformance has already been priced into the value of the dollar. It's been, it's been clear for a while now. I think that the US, as well as the UK, to be fair, would be in a position that is vaccinated enough of its population that it could begin unwinding lockdown measures sooner than many of its peers, as we've seen in the last few weeks, particularly Europe. And you combine this with President Biden's stimulus package, it means the data of the US is as surprised to the upside has been stronger than elsewhere. And the market really is simply not overly surprised by that. Um, I think they're instead focusing on what's next beyond that. And they're looking to the Federal Reserve, for instance. And the market's basically saying to the Fed, well, the US economy is rebounding very strongly. Surely in the not too distant future, you have to think about perhaps raising interest rates. But recent communications we've had from Fed members have remained very dovish. Um, suggesting no rate hikes at all for the foreseeable future. I think that has also um, triggered investors to sell the dollar so far this month. No, no, I, I agree with that uh, with that point of view. It's just that what that doesn't quite explain is uh, why uh, the 10-year Treasury is uh, is rebounded and the yield is down to 1.6%. Uh, you could argue that perhaps the, the uh, sell-off that we experienced in, in U.S., Treasuries uh, since the beginning of the year was excessive, and this is just an adjustment. But um, I, I think there's a very interesting tension in the markets between uh, the story that we've heard from the treasury market over the last two weeks, uh, 
And the story that we're getting from the U.S. dollar, that at some point that tension has to be resolved. We cannot continue to have, uh, I think, uh, uh, it, it, this, this strong string of economic data out of the U.S. Uh, without uh, trustors continuing the normalization process. And at some point, and getting to 2% yields in the in the 10-year treasury is going to be very interesting. And I think that that's what you need to pay a lot of attention to, the treasury market in the U.S. Okay, perfect. I think we'll move on to our, our second uh, topic now, and that's going to focus uh, on a busy couple of days for the euro towards the end of this week. And first off, we have the European Central Bank meeting on Thursday, which tends to be one of the, the bigger event risks for currency markets. Uh, the general expectation among investors is that this week's meeting is probably going to be a fairly low-key one uh, with no real significant changes in the bank's communications. But then on Friday, we'll have the release um, of the latest PMI data for the Eurozone for April. These are the, the business activity indices. Um, they could give a snap insight as to the, the current health of both the services and manufacturing sectors. Um, now, these are likely to be particularly interesting, I think, and closely watched by the market. On the one hand, Lockdown measures are either being extended or reintroduced in Europe and box vaccine program so far has been a rather slow one. But on the other hand, there is growing optimism that the pace of vaccinations is set to pick up pace, as as we've talked about, um, which should brighten the outlook for businesses. Uh, But what do you guys both think? How do you see the balance of risk in Europe impacting, first of all, the ECB meeting and then Friday's PMI data? Well, I think that the ECB meeting uh, is going to be an exercise in, in vagueness and neutrality. There's definitely not going to be any changes in policy. It's quite likely that uh, that uh, Lagarde will be asked questions about uh, front-loading further the uh, pandemic uh, uh, government bond purchasing program. But given the that yields have been well-behaved uh, in over the last couple, few weeks, I think that she will try to be as vague as possible. And what I think may happen, or if not at this meeting, then definitely at the next, is uh, we need to start talking about what a normalization of uh, European Central Bank policy settings will look like, especially given that uh, in, the third, in the second quarter, it, it looks likely that the gap between the vaccination rollout in Europe and the U.S. should begin to close. And uh, we're seeing the, the early, the, we're going to start seeing the uh, early impact of that closure in the PMIs. Uh, last month, the PMIs already in the been indices of business activity already surpassed to the upside. I expect uh, to have further good news uh, this week when the uh, April PMIs are released. And let's let's not forget that in the Eurozone, these are the, uh, the, the most important and best, most predictive in the leading indices. And again, it may not be at this meeting, but uh, no later than the next meeting, I think we should start looking at uh, what normalization of economic policies, uh, monetary policy settings will look like from the ECB, and it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, when it comes to the ECB, uh, I I think I largely agree with Enrique. I generally don't think that, uh, that it will be a big meeting for the market. Uh, since that really not that much has changed since the last ECB uh, assessment. Uh, generally, when we look at the yields, they are roughly where they were uh, prior, uh, where they were during the previous meeting. When we look at the euro, uh, it has uh, rallied uh, to some extent. We are at close to 121 against the dollar. Uh, however, I don't think that at this point this warrants any 
uh, comments on the strength of the euro. I think that we are still uh, below levels that we were uh, at the beginning of the year. So uh, I think that uh, this meeting should be probably uh, a low-key one, uh, but then June will be quite interesting as we'll have new economic assessment from the ECB, new forecasts. Uh, and this will be a period uh, where I expect that the reopenings uh, in the EU uh, will largely start. Uh, and this should also be reflected in the economic data uh, going forward. And when it comes to the PMIs, uh, I think that uh, it's quite hard to predict at this point whether they'll surprise to the upside or downside, but I think that there are uh, both positive and negative risks, risks there. Uh, however, I was uh, pleasantly surprised by uh, the March numbers, uh, especially from Germany, because there is a quite of a divergence uh, in the numbers. And uh, Germany has uh, come up uh, on top, while uh, France is actually lagging. And uh, some of it can be explained by a, a different uh, importance of uh, manufacturing sector for both economies. So in Germany, it's around 20% of the GDP. In France, it's around 10% of the GDP. Uh, because uh, when we look at the restriction measures uh, in Germany and France, uh, they are uh, roughly the same. Uh, currently, the situation in Germany when it comes to COVID uh, is one that is uh, probably one of the hardest uh, in, in the EU, one of the toughest ones. Uh, so we could potentially see uh, an unwinding of measures in other countries before Germany. Uh, however, considering that the German economic data, uh, looking at the PMIs, is already quite good, I'm quite confident that we are going to get uh, a rather uh, strong growth uh, in the EU uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, starting with the ECB, I think I, I agree with you guys. I think it's probably going to be a very low-key meeting, certainly too soon for any sort of meaningful discussions to be had as to whether the asset purchase programme will end as, as scheduled in March next year. I mean, we could see a bit of an optimistic tone on vaccine progress, but but I, but I don't think um, we're going to see too much market action during the press conference. Um, as for the PMIs, I think this is a, a difficult one. I, I see a, a lot of downside risk still to the euro area economy. Um, particularly with these ongoing lockdowns. Um, certainly a contraction in the first quarter of the year will be guaranteed. I think the rebound in Q2 will happen, but it's going to be a rather slow one, I think. Um, and it won't be to the second half of the year, I think, where we start to see more of a signif significant jump uh, in activity, largely, of course, due to the, the slow rollout of the vaccines. So I think that will be reflected in the PMIs on Friday. I expect them to probably range just above the level of um, 50 that denotes... Um, flat growth with uh, a more sustained, more meaningful pickup um, in activity to follow slightly later um, in, the, in the year, in the next sort of two or three months or so, as restrictions are unwound to a more significant extent. Okay, I think we'll end now by briefly covering our spotlight currency for the week, which this week uh, is Indian rupee. Now, the rupee has gone in a completely opposite direction to almost every other emerging market currency so far in April, selling off sharply during a time when uh, the market's been characterized by risk on trading. Uh, the rupee is now trading around the 75 to the dollar level for the first time since August last year. Uh, this is almost entirely due to the, the rather concerning pandemic situation in India, um, where we're seeing an exponential rise in, in both cases uh, and deaths caused by the virus, um, largely a result of this new variant um, that's been uh, detected in India. Um, but passing over to you both, firstly, your opinion on whether you'd buy, sell or hold the Indian rupee, uh, and then, of course, your reasoning behind this. 
Um, this is one that's a very easy one for me. It's a strong, strong buy. Uh, first of all, the, my the general theme that I'm seeing over the next year or two is that uh, uh, the measures, the aggressive measures taken in the developed countries to uh, combat the uh, the the economic impact of the pandemic is a huge positive for emerging markets, uh, for commodity prices in general, and emerging markets in general. In particular, uh, the zero percent yields all across the G10 countries and the massive fiscal stimulus can only spill over into into positive impacts for emerging market economics. And in particular, the Indian economy is is one that, uh, in spite of the uh, latest uh, headlines from the COVID, has uh, shown has the, some of the strongest fundamentals out there. In that, it is its uh, uh, external debt is very limited. Current account deficit is positive, offers significant yield support to its currencies. So I, I think that the uh, the recent sell off is definitely a buying uh, opportunity. Yeah, I would actually think that uh, this may not be the, the end of the sell-off uh, in the rupee, uh, seeing how the COVID situation develops there. I mean, it's starting to be uh, concerning not only for India, but for the entire region. And this is, uh, the, the, the rise has really been meteoric. Right now, what we are seeing is uh, around uh, 270,000 new cases per day. Obviously, we are talking about a population of a billion people. Nonetheless, this is still uh, very concerning. And I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, rupee sold off from this point uh, going forward in the short term. However, uh, as we could see with the uh, Central and Eastern European currencies uh, in uh, in April, actually, uh, they have rebounded after the COVID situation improved. And I think that the same should be uh, for Indian rupee. Although, uh, generally, I, I don't think that the potential for a very strong appreciation is there. Uh, I think that, uh, generally, the, the, the authorities, uh, the monetary authorities, uh, would rather prefer a, a relatively weak rupee. So I think that uh, in the short term, uh, rupee could be uh, somewhat cheaper uh, based on uh, the uh, trajectory of COVID. And going forward, it should appreciate, uh, but probably not to a, a very impressive extent. And uh, by that, I mean uh, by around uh, 3% against the dollar uh, uh, in the in the next two quarters. Yeah, and I won't add too much to what you both already said because I, I think I largely agree with both of you there. I, I, for me, it's a buy. Um, I think the situation at the moment, of course, is a real concern. I certainly see, as you said, Raymond, I think there's room for more downside in the currency, particularly in the near term, as as long as cases continue to rise, deaths continue to rise exponentially. But um, longer term, still think it's a positive one for risk assets, particularly once the pandemic situation is brought under control. Um and particularly so for those currencies, as you mentioned, Enrique, those were strong economic fundamentals, of which India, for me, certainly is one for all the reasons that you mentioned. So perhaps a bit of a downside in the near term, but I'm still confident of a broadly stronger INR over the long run. And that just about does it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets, visit eBree's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app and let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming podcasts. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a week's time. Thank you all very much for listening.